following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. I invite you to take your Bible this morning and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And in a moment we'll read, starting in verse 6, we may read on to chapter, uh, I mean to verse 15, not 13. But just hold your Bible there. And I want to tell you a story about John. John is a friend of mine. He's been a friend of mine for a long time. John and Jen and our family lived down the street from each other before we moved away. But we stayed good friends for a lot of years. And a curious thing happened on December 28th. We live in New Iberia now, and we gleefully and joyfully live on a golf course. And John is a golfer. And so and on December 28th, it was a sunny day, and my wife got a call from Jen to arrange a golf game for me and John. Now, I just want to tell you that that was odd. John and I are grown-ups. John and I can arrange a golf game between the two of us if we want. And so it was particularly odd that Jen called my wife, Joe to arrange a golf game for Jeff and John. But I'm good to play golf anytime, and so we agreed, and John showed up. And as soon as he showed up and jumped in the golf cart to take off to the golf course, he was chattering away. And come to find out, and I hadn't known this because we hadn't touched base in a while, come to find out that John all of a sudden was a candidate for a heart transplant. He's early 60s like me, very healthy, but all of a sudden he was looking at a heart transplant. And I must tell you, he was terrified of the prospects of dealing with that future. And so we played golf and talked about his heart and eventually talked about his spiritual heart. And we got to the end of the golf game. We pulled into my little golf cart shed and I said, John, I said, there's only one way forward from here. You need to turn your spiritual heart over to God and to Jesus. He said, well, I pray to God. I said, no, this is different. I said, you need to turn your spiritual heart and turn your life over to God. Well, how do I do that? It starts by saying, dear God. And you need to offer your prayer of commitment to him. You see, what's happened all your life, John, is you've had Jesus riding in the car with you. You get advice from him on direction occasionally, and the rest of the time, you just let him be a passenger. What I'm suggesting is you need to let him drive the wheel of your life and invite him to take over in every area of your heart. Well, I don't, he started arguing. I said, John, I said, it's got to be done now. And I can be forceful with John because he's my friend. I said, now is the time. Start by saying, dear God. Okay, he said, dear God. And he just passionately, aggressively, determinedly poured out his heart to God. And he said, amen. He came up from his prayer. I said, John, did you mean it? He said, I meant it. I said, what do you think? He said, you know, I feel different. I said, that's because you meant it. And that's because God is now, through Jesus, is taking over your life. I'm going to tell you the rest of the story later. And it's good news, but I'm going to leave you in suspense for a moment. The good news is initially that John gave his heart to Christ. And through the course of the message, you'll hear the rest of the story. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it begins in verse 6 for the text. It says, For this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap 
bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God, while through proof of the ministry that glorify God for this obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The first read through this passage of scripture, one thinks about money and about giving of your money. And there is certainly a lesson about finances within this passage. But I think it takes on a broader purpose as well as Paul talks about the generous giving of our lives. Not withholding our lives in any area of our lives as it relates to the generosity of self and of family and of church and of others and even to the stranger. We are to live our lives generously, live under the calling of the gospel message of Jesus Christ and give of our lives in every every area of life as we have opportunity. And as was said a moment ago, the opportunities to live generously in the gospel abound everywhere that we go. Every human being that we come in contact with has the need of the gospel. It is the solution to every matter of life. Every single one. And if you are here today and have the news of the gospel dwelling inside of your heart, dwelling inside of your spiritual heart, then it is your compulsion to give it and to share it at every turn and every opportunity. It is important for us to share the gospel. Well, what is that gospel? We use the word almost flippantly from time to time as if everybody knows it. But the gospel message is this. It was culminated in the Easter sermon and the Easter story last week that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He came to the earth as a baby. He was born and lived a perfect and sinless life. At 30 years of age, he was baptized, not because of his sin, but as an example for us to follow. And he lived a perfect, sinless life, declaring himself as the Son of God. He was killed for his trouble. But when he went to the cross, he was killed and sin was killed with him. The power of sin was killed with him on the cross. He took it to the grave and he rose victoriously out of the grave, conquering sin and death for the likes of you and me, for the likes of you and me that don't deserve sin and death taken away. But Jesus chose to do it for us. Why? Because of his grace and because of his love. He loved us enough that he would die for dirty, rotten scoundrel sinners like you and me so that we can have access to the Father for now and for all eternity. That is an incredible story and can only be experienced as true like John did in my golf cart porch. 
How do I know it's true? Just start by saying, dear God. How many times have I been at the side of those who start a prayer, dear God, through Jesus and pray to receive Christ. And the words come out of their mouth like they don't even know they're saying them because the Holy Spirit takes over and that invitation to come to Jesus is fixed and secure. It is our calling to tell that word of Jesus to people around us. It is our calling to tell that good news message that Christ died according to the scripture, was buried and resurrected according to the scripture. And if you will believe that is true, you can have a good, a good life with Christ. And so the question is, when is the good time to share the gospel? It was said a moment ago in the calling of Abraham. And Abraham calling in Genesis chapter 12. God said, I'm calling you from a place that you are to a place that I will show you. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. You read that first and you think, well, you're going to go and be a blessing. But I think what God is saying, Abraham, because I have blessed you, I command you to be a blessing. I command you to go intentionally blessing people wherever you go. Well, the question is, how do we do that? There are four quick thoughts that I want to share with you from the text that are important. You can take notes in the bulletin along the way. First of all, it's important for us to leave the seeds of the gospel wherever we go. The Bible says we are to sow generously. We are to sow the seeds of the gospel generously. How do we do that? Well, first of all, we speak well of the Lord, that everywhere we go, we are well-intended and well-meaning with what the Lord is doing in our lives and in our world. How does that work? When you meet somebody on, uh, on a telemarketer on the phone and you, they, or an exchange on a phone, God bless you never hurts to give to someone on the other end of the phone. When you are cashing out at the Walmart or the grocery store to be of a kind countenance and a sincere concern for the person across the exchange and to be a blessing to the person who may be having a tough day and give them the pre-message of the gospel, to speak well of the Lord. It's important to speak well of other believers, to lift up the body of Christ. How damaging it is to hear someone down the church and the ministry of the church, especially one who is of the household of faith. How damaging it is to tear down other believers in the ministry of the church. It is a significant sin and a harm to the ministry of the gospel. We need to speak well of other believers. We need to build up one another. We need to strengthen one another because when the guest comes in the door and they see bickering and backbiting and fighting within, they look inside the door of the church and say, that doesn't look any different than my house. I don't want anything to do with that. We need to speak well of one another as we sow the seeds of the gospel. We need to speak well of his church. It was asked a moment ago and it's worth asking again. How many people do you invite to church on a weekly basis to recognize that there are people outside of the faith of the church that aren't going to come without an invitation? Will you show up and sit with me? Will you come and listen to the message? Will you come to the event, the, the, the event that we're having, something that is important to them? How many people are we inviting to his church. We need to speak well of his church and be assertive about praying for people. It is so relieving to know that we we are burdened with people who have the need for the gospel. 
that if we can deliberately and conscientiously take them before the Lord in prayer and pray them to Jesus, we are participating in moving the gospel forward. Who is on your short list in prayer that needs to be born again? When asked that question, who comes to mind? Is it a spouse? Is it a child? Is it a neighbor? Is it a friend? Or is it nobody? And if it's nobody, I would encourage you to get somebody on your list. It's not judgy to recognize that someone was, is without Christ that you know in a relationship you have. It's compassionate to reach that person for Jesus and it starts with prayer. And the prayer goes something like this. Lord, I sense that my friend is not a believer. Their life does not evidence that. Would you send someone to deliver the gospel, and if it's me, then help me to be ready when the time is right. Help me to simply tell what I know about Jesus when you put the opportunity before, and pray for that opportunity. And if you'll pray for that opportunity and pray for that person, you know what will happen? You'll find them in one-on-one. You'll find them like my friend John in a desperate need and knowing who to go to see. That's why that golf game was scheduled, so that he could be with me, because he knew that I was one who would tell him the truth. Do you have that reputation as a believer? Are you the go-to for those who are outside of faith, who need someone to talk to when the time is right? Everywhere we go, we are called to leave seeds. Everywhere we go, we are called to be a blessing because of what Jesus has blessed us with. We are to love freely, secondly. We're to leave seeds and love freely, loving people in Jesus' name. Who do you love? Who do you love? Several years ago, I was pastoring a church that was grown. It was filled to max in capacity, well over 300 people in Sunday school, multiple worship services and multiple ministries. And God called me away from that church to start over in church planting. I went from a large and growing congregation to me and my family in church and a few more hopefuls that we could make a church again with a different kind of strategy. I remember so vividly and so clearly driving down Pinhook Drive in Lafayette, which was the corner of the area and territory of Lafayette where God had entrusted me to grow and minister in that community and minister in a church, but I had no members, had no church building, had a little office building to gather some people. God, how am I going to reach people from here? And he said this to me that was so liberating for the church plant and for every day. He said, you see all these people in this territory that you've mapped out? You need to love every single one of these people as if they're already in the Lord's church and make no distinction about whether they are in the church or not in the church as you approach them in love. You see, as a pastor of a church of many and more than I could actually quality love, I was making distinctions between who I was loving in the church and in the community and God corrected that and helped me to understand that everybody deserves the love of Jesus, and everybody is intended to be in the Lord's church, whether they know it or not. And your job is to love them towards the ministry of the church. That was so liberating for me. 
I didn't have to make any distinction from that point on. And every conversation, every step was loving people as if they were already front pew people in my church. We all need to take that guidance from the Lord and love everybody the same. Everybody that we meet deserves our best in the love of Christ. And to have a life that is comfortable in the gospel, a life as we go that is living out the gospel, loving consistently, loving daily, loving uh, on a regular basis as a reputation of our lives, speaking often about what we love. Moved to New Iberia about a year and a half ago and moved into a dream home, a place that we love, and on a dead-end street, and to my right, I guess, as you face the house, lives Gary and his two sons. For almost a year, living next door to each other, Gary and I kind of grunted at each other, didn't really have a relationship at all. And I am a friendly guy. You know, I wanted to have a friendship with Gary. But slowly, 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 I got to know Gary. Gary's a native from Germany and an engineer. So here are neighbors of about the same age, a Southern Baptist preacher and a German engineer. Talk about odd neighbor fellas, right? But eventually... Gary and I warmed up to one another, and we've had conversations. He discovered I was a Baptist preacher. There's no spiritual conversation yet. He's not a churchgoer. And I approached the conversation about church just very tentatively, and kind of gave me this. Didn't want to have much to do with it. But then his 14-year-old son got COVID about nine months ago. And the after effects of COVID caused him to have a difficulty in being able to walk. Never heard anything like it. Literally couldn't get up off the couch, couldn't go to the bathroom or the bedroom, could not walk, and nobody could discover what was wrong. And so Gary would talk to me about his son. Gary, I'm praying for your son. No response to that prayer. Gary, I'm praying for your son. And slowly and gradually... Gary's son started to get to better. Eventually, I told Gary I was praying for his son, and Gary said to me, thanks for your prayers. It's progress. It's progress. I was compelled on Easter week to invite him to church. He didn't come, but I invited him, and I prayed all week that God would give me a one-on-one opportunity to invite him to church. Gary, you want to come on Easter? I don't go to church. I said, okay, but I had to ask. He said, yeah, I know. And I appreciate you asking as long as you're not being pushy. I said, well, Gary, I'm not going to be pushy, but I care about you. He said, you're doing just fine. And you know what that told me? There's a future invitation that might come with a yes. I sat down with him under his tree the other day, and I said, Gary, tell me a little bit about your engineering. And as soon as I asked the question, I thought, I'm going to blank out in about two sentences. Me and engineering, just no clue. But it matters to Gary. And so Gary talked to me about all this fascinating engineering, and it was way over my head. He's brilliant, you see. But it's about building rapport. It's about building a relationship. It's about taking a few minutes of my time that I'd rather do listening to something else, but to listen to it because it matters to Gary. 
It's important for us to pray for opportunities to sow. It's important for us to recognize that God puts us in the path of people that we are to love towards Him. That we are to put up with things that we may not necessarily participate in in order to love people towards a relationship with Jesus. And so I ask us again, who do we love? Who is in our short list of people that God has entrusted to us to love into the kingdom of God? When we do that, we can sow seeds and live freely, and we are able to live spiritually rich. God called Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you. Abraham was one of the richest people on the earth financially, but also in the blessings of his heritage. And the riches are not just money, but the riches are the riches of a life well lived. My dad passed away about six weeks ago on March 1st. He lived independently for 83 years. He fell in the night. By the way, if you're older, it's not a good idea to fall in the night. Falling in old people don't go hand in hand. He lived, he fell, and he couldn't get to his phone, and so he laid on the floor all night, probably thought he was going to die, but he didn't. He got to the hospital, found out he had COVID, and two weeks later, he just imploded and couldn't make it, and he passed away. The good news is he was a strong man of faith. He lived 83 independent years, two weeks of sickness, and went on to glory and to be with mom. And so I've not grieved a lot. I've missed him a lot, but I'm not grieved because I know where he is. As we begin to kind of unwrap his life, he lived in a little two-room apartment that he'd built inside of his shop. He loves collecting cars. Just real modest living, nice and clean, but very simple. We learned when we uncovered his finances that about half of everything that he had as income was being delivered to the church. $30,000, $40,000 a year given away just to the church and living in a modest way after that. He was serving by helping a young special needs man go to work every day for two years and nobody knew about it. He just did it. Just did it because it was right to do. He was living with an open hand, generously giving his resources away because he didn't need much. And it convicted me to even more be an inspiration like him, living in that way. I heard it put by Dave Ramsey recently in this way. I've been teaching a course called Financial Peace University, and Dave Ramsey gives this tremendously beautiful picture of an open-hand life. He says when you go through the Dave Ramsey course, you get your finances in order, you get your debts paid off, and you get your money ahead of your money, and you're able to live more generously. But the key to all of that activity of living with our finances in order is to live generously. He said many people go through this course and they get the financial part, but when they come to the generous part, they don't understand how valuable it is. And so they live with a closed hand. And in the picture, he had a wad of hundred dollar bills. He said they'll get their finances right, but they'll live holding on to their money. He said anybody can see the body posture of a person holding on to their money. It's one who's fighting against the world. Or you can live in an open-handed way where the money comes into your life as God provides it and the money leaves as is needed and the money returns as is needed and it leaves again. And that's a very different body posture. He said even a dog understands 
an open hand. You see, when we live richly, we're to live our lives in an open-handed way. I heard my pastor at Highland this morning saying, everything we own, we don't own anyway. We're just caretakers of it as the Lord sees fit. And so for us to cling to it and not share it is out of favor with what God's plan is for us. And so we live richly, trusting God for what he puts in our hand and what leaves our hand and what comes back to us, making sure that we take care of our needs and the needs of others as well. When we do that, we can live richly, remembering that God is the great provider and his choice is to work through people with the richnesses of a spiritual life that are blessed by God, whether it's financial or time or effort or energy or prayer, whatever it is, we live in an open-handed way, giving our very best for the Lord. When we do that, when we determine to live our lives that way, when we sow seeds, when we are loving freely, when we are living spiritually rich, then we can harvest from this life joyously, joyously. When we live that way, we can expect results. We mentioned Vacation Bible School a moment ago. Are you praying right now for a joyous harvest of souls in Vacation Bible School? Are you excited about the fact that Some little wigglers are going to come into the church that maybe haven't been in the church ever before and hear the ministry of the gospel and be gloriously and wonderfully saved. I have a five-year-old grandson that lives in Texas. His mama doesn't take him to church right now. And every time he gets on the phone with us, he wants to talk about when we're going to church again, when we're going to church again. We've scheduled for him to be at our vacation Bible school and nothing is going to get in the way of that week for him in vacation Bible school because he wants to come and hear about Jesus. Little spiritual minds have not been corrupted yet by the ways of the world and are still fresh and open to the ministry and the gospel. Are you praying expectantly there will be children born again and added to the kingdom? I may have told you this story before, but in my life personally, the most important ministry of vacation Bible school even happened in my own family. My second daughter was dating a boy through high school, and he wasn't a Christian as far as anybody could tell. And I pulled her aside as the relationship got serious, and I said, Hannah, I said, you know the consequences of dating a boy that's unequally yoked with you. I said, it's my guidance that you would date someone who's a Christian, and you would have a Christian home. Well, she really loved him, and so she set out to make him a Christian. Every time they went on a date, she'd witness to him and tell him about Jesus, tell him about the Lord. Finally, he broke down one day and said, you know, when I was a nine-year-old boy, I did that. What? She said, you accepted Jesus when you were a nine-year-old boy? Why didn't you ever tell me? She's animated like her dad. Why didn't you ever tell me? And this is what he said. He said, because I did that when I was nine and I never did anything with it. And I figured it didn't stick. And so she talked to him a little more. And this is what happened. When he was a nine-year-old boy in Lafayette, His grandparents took him to vacation Bible school at First Baptist Lafayette. And through the course of the week, he became born again. He was baptized in that church, but participating in church was not reinforced by his parents. And so sure enough, after some more conversations, the the born again experience happened in vacation Bible school. You know where it says in the Bible, he who began a good work in me completes it in a day. Through Jesus Christ. 
Well, she married that boy. And they're in church in New Orleans. They're raising my one-year-old grandson. And it all happened because grandparents took a nine-year-old boy to vacation Bible school. What grandchildren are coming to your Bible school? What neighbor friends are getting in the van and getting in the car with you to come so that they might hear the gospel? Are you expecting results for the ministry that's growing and flourishing here? And there's still a long way to go, as you know. There are more empty seats that need to be filled. What expecting results are you participating in as you invite people to hear the message of the gospel? I shared this message in New Orleans with a pastor friend of mine in his church. And they had had an experience of many baptisms and all of a sudden the baptistry went dry. And I gave him this profound counsel from the Louisiana Baptist Convention staff. I said, you know how you baptize more people in the church? What? You make it important. That's simply what you do. And I want you to know, if you've never been baptized by immersion, it's important. Being born again into the kingdom is completed in baptism because Jesus was baptized, not to wash his sins away because he was sinless, but to be an example for you. And so when you get in the baptistry water, you say, I'm all in. I'm immersed in you. My sins are symbolically washed away. And I commit myself to you. Do you need to be baptized? If you do, at the end of the service today, I want to invite you to come forward and declare that to be true. And we'll communicate with the pastor and he'll gladly put on his rubber boots and put you in the water for Jesus. Do you know someone who needs to be baptized? Make it important. Make it important in Jesus. And so as we conclude the message today, as we learn how important it is to leave seeds wherever we go and to love freely everybody that we come in contact, to live spiritually rich with an open hand of finances and of our life towards those who are outside of faith and to expect a joyous harvest to come. I would ask you the question, are you living the gospel in your life? When you get up from this church service today, are you going to be exactly the same in the way that you live as you've been for the last hour or so. You remember I told you I was going to tell you the rest of the story about John. So December 28th, John prayed on my golf cart shed to receive Christ. The beginning of the year started and I got busy and John got busy and didn't keep up with him as well. We tried to get together a couple of times. My father passed away and that took all of my focus and attention And I had bought John a Bible, and it sat on my desk, and I couldn't get it to him. He lives a few miles from me. I couldn't get it delivered. But the week of Easter, I said, I can't go any longer. And I set aside time, and I called John. I said, I'm coming to your house. I've got this Bible to give you. So I walked into John and Jen's house, and both of them were wearing a T-shirt. On the front of it, it said, Pray, in big, bold letters. Never seen any either one of them wearing clothing like that. And on the back, come to find out, it had been a fundraiser that a boy in the neighborhood was selling T-shirts to raise money for their church. And so they bought one, and both were wearing it matching just the same. So I knew this was going to be a good visit. We sat down, I gave John the Bible, and I said, start reading in the New Testament, even read the book of John as your beginning point. 
And then with the biggest grin on his face, he said, I've got some news to tell you. He said, when I met you on December 28th for that game of golf, my heart rate, my standing heart rate was in the 90s. It was racing away. He said, now four months later, my heart rate is in the 60s. And I am not a candidate for a heart transplant anymore. And I said, well, John, part of the reason why that is, is when you have peace in your life, your physical heart and your spiritual heart slows down and gets back in rhythm. If you want to call that a healing, you call it a healing. But the fact is, John was different on December 27th than he was April 9th because the Lord came in his life and healed him. I want you to know that testimony because I want you to know it works. The gospel works. It changes people's lives. It changes their heart. Their physical condition is different. And yours is different in that way. If you're here this morning and born again, live it out joyously. Live it out in the celebration of who you are. I read a book on gospel fluency not too long ago, and the, and the book said this, you talk about what you love. And it checked me in my conversations because I love golf, I love old cars, I love my family. Is that my lead conversation or is my lead conversation talking about Jesus? You talk about what you love. Do people know that you love Jesus? Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for the day. I thank you for the calling of our lives to live the gospel. I pray, dear Lord, if there are those here today that have not been impacted by the gospel until today, that today would be the day of conversion. Today would be that golf cart shed moment. Today would be the day to say yes to Jesus. There's no time like today. If there is one or many here today who need to be baptized, that they would come forward and declare their decision to be baptized under your leadership. Lord, move in the invitation today as we pray for those who need you, as we pray for the lost. In your name we pray. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.